0: Sketches by Boz, Section One, Preface and Our Parish, Chapter One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Brad Filipone. Sketches by Boz by Charles Dickens. Preface. The whole of these sketches were written and published one by one when I was a very young man. They were collected and republished while I was still a very young man, and sent into the world with all their imperfections, a good many, on their heads. They comprise my first attempts at authorship, with the exception of certain tragedies achieved at the mature age of eight or ten, and represented with great applause to overflowing nurseries i am conscious of their often being extremely crude and ill-considered and bearing obvious marks of haste and inexperience particularly in that section of the present volume which is comprised under the general head of tales but as this collection is not originated now and was very leniently and favourably received when it was first made i have not felt it right either to remodel or expunge beyond a few words and phrases here and there our Parish Chapter I The Beadle The Parish Engine The Schoolmaster How much is conveyed in those two short words the parish and with how many tales of distress and misery of broken fortune and ruined hopes too often of unrelieved wretchedness and successful knavery are they associated a poor man with small earnings and a large family just manages to live on from hand to mouth and to procure food from day to day he has barely sufficient to satisfy the present cravings of nature and can take no heed of the future his taxes are in arrear quarter-day passes by another quarter-day arrives he can procure no more quarter for himself and is summoned by the parish his goods are distrained His children are crying with cold and hunger, and the very bed on which his sick wife is lying is dragged from beneath her. What can he do? To whom is he to apply for relief? To private charity? To benevolent individuals? Certainly not. There is his parish. There are the very parish vestry, the parish infirmary, the parish surgeon, the parish officers, the parish beadle—excellent institutions and gentle, kind-hearted men. The woman dies. She is buried by the parish. The children have no protector. They are taken care of by the parish. The man first neglects and afterwards cannot obtain work. He is relieved by the parish, and when distress and drunkenness have done their work upon him, he is maintained, a harmless, babbling idiot, in the parish asylum. The parish beadle is one of the most, perhaps the most, important member of the local administration. He is not so well off as the churchwardens, certainly, nor is he so learned as the vestry clerk, nor does he order things quite so much his own way as either of them, but his power is very great notwithstanding, and the dignity of his office is never impaired by the absence of efforts on his part to maintain it the beadle of our parish is a splendid fellow it is quite delightful to hear him as he explains the state of the existing poor laws to the deaf old women in the board-room passage on business nights and to hear what he said to the senior churchwarden and what the senior churchwarden said to him and what we the beadle and the other gentlemen came to the determination of doing a miserable-looking woman is called into the board-room and represents a case of extreme destitution affecting herself a widow with six small children where do you live inquires one of the overseers i rents a two pair back gentlemen at mrs brown's number three little king william's alley which has lived there this fifteen year and knows me to be very hard-working and industrious and when my poor husband was alive, gentlemen, as died in the hospital well well interrupts the overseer taking a note of the address i'll send simmons the beadle to-morrow morning to ascertain whether your story is correct and if so i suppose you must have an order into the house simmons go to this woman's the first thing to-morrow morning will you simmons bows assent and ushers the woman out her previous admiration of the board who all sit behind great books and with their hats on fades into nothing before her respect for her lace-trimmed conductor and her account of what has passed inside increases if that be possible the marks of respect shown by the assembled crowd to that solemn functionary as to taking out a summons it's quite a hopeless case if simmons attends it on behalf of the parish he knows all the titles of the lord mayor by heart states the case without a single stammer and it is even reported that on one occasion he ventured to make a joke which the lord mayor's head footman who happened to be present afterwards told an intimate friend confidentially was almost equal to one of mr hobbler's see him again on sunday in his state-coat and cocked hat with a large-headed staff for show in his left hand and a small cane for use in his right how pompously he marshals the children into their places and how demurely the little urchins look at him askance as he surveys them when they are all seated with a glare of the eye peculiar to beetles The churchwardens and overseers, being duly installed in their curtained pews, he seats himself on a mahogany bracket, erected expressly for him at the top of the aisle, and divides his attention between his prayer-book and the boys. Suddenly, just at the commencement of the communion service, when the whole congregation is hushed into a profound silence, broken only by the voice of the officiating clergyman, a penny is heard to ring on the stone floor of the aisle, with astounding clearness. Observe the generalship of the beadle. His involuntary look of horror is instantly changed into one of perfect indifference, as if he were the only person present who has not heard the noise. The artifice succeeds. After putting forth his right leg now and then, as a feeler, the victim who dropped the money ventures to make one or two distant dives after it, and the beadle, gliding softly round, salutes his little round head, when it again appears above the seat, with divers double-knocks, administered with the cane before noticed, to the intense delight of three young men in an adjacent pew, who cough violently at intervals until the conclusion of the sermon. Such are a few traits of the importance and gravity of a parish beadle, a gravity which has never been disturbed in any case that has come under our observation, except when the services of that particularly useful machine, a parish fire-engine, are required. Then, indeed, all is bustle. Two little boys run to the beetle as fast as their legs will carry them, and report from their own personal observation that some neighbouring chimney is on fire. The engine is hastily got out, and a plentiful supply of boys being obtained and harnessed to it with ropes away they rattle over the pavement. The beetle running we do not exaggerate running at the side until they arrive at some house smelling strongly of soot at the door of which the beetle knocks with considerable gravity for half an hour no attention being made to these manual applications, and the turncock having turned on the water, the engine turns off amidst the shouts of the boys, it pulls up once more at the workhouse, and the beetle pulls up the unfortunate householder next day for the amount of his legal reward. We never saw a parish engine at a regular fire but once. It came up in gallant style three miles and a half an hour, at least— There was a capital supply of water, and it was first on the spot. Bang went the pumps. The people cheered. The beetle perspired profusely. But it was unfortunately discovered, just as they were going to put the fire out, that nobody understood the process by which the engine was filled with water, and that eighteen boys and a man had exhausted themselves in pumping for twenty minutes without producing the slightest effect.' The personages next in importance to the beadle are the master of the workhouse and the parish schoolmaster. The vestry clerk, as everybody knows, is a short, pudgy little man in black with a thick gold watch-chain of considerable length, terminating in two large seals and a key. He is an attorney, and generally in a bustle, at no time more so than when he is hurrying to some parochial meeting, with his gloves crumpled up in one hand and a large red book under the other arm as to the churchwardens and overseers we exclude them altogether because all we know of them is that they are usually respectable tradesmen who wear hats with brims inclined to flatness and who occasionally testify in gilt letters on a blue ground in some conspicuous part of the church to the important fact of a gallery having been enlarged and beautified or an organ rebuilt the master of the workhouse is not in our parish nor is he usually in any other one of that class of men the better part of whose existence has passed away and who drag out the remainder in some inferior situation with just enough thought of the past to feel degraded by and discontented with the present we are unable to guess precisely to our own satisfaction what station the man can have occupied before we should think he had been an inferior sort of attorney's clerk or else the master of a national school whatever he was it is clear his present position is a change for the better his income is small certainly as the rusty black coat and threadbare velvet collar demonstrate but then he lives free of house-rent has a limited allowance of coals and candles and an almost unlimited allowance of authority in his petty kingdom he is a tall thin bony man always wears shoes and black cotton-stockings with his surtout, and eyes you as you pass his parlor-window, as if he wished you were a pauper, just to give you a specimen of his power. He is an admirable specimen of a small tyrant, morose, brutish, and ill-tempered, bullying to his inferiors, cringing to his superiors, and jealous of the influence and authority of the beetle.' Our schoolmaster is just the very reverse of this amiable official. He has been one of those men one occasionally hears of, on whom misfortune seems to have set her mark. Nothing he ever did, or was concerned in, appears to have prospered. A rich old relation who had brought him up, and openly announced his intention of providing for him, left him ten thousand in his will, and revoked the bequest in a codicil. Thus, unexpectedly reduced to the necessity of providing for himself, he procured a situation in a public office. The young clerks below him died off, as there were a plague among them, but the old fellows over his head, for the reversion of whose places he was anxiously waiting, lived on and on, as if they were immortal. He speculated and lost. He speculated again, and won, but never got his money his talents were great his disposition easy generous and liberal his friends profited by the one and abused the other loss succeeded loss misfortune crowded on misfortune each successive day brought him nearer the verge of hopeless penury and the quondam friends who had been warmest in their professions grew strangely cold and indifferent he had children whom he loved and a wife on whom he doted the former turned their backs on him the latter died broken-hearted he went with the stream It had ever been his failing, and he had not courage sufficient to bear up against so many shocks. He had never cared for himself, and the only being who had cared for him in his poverty and distress was spared to him no longer. It was at this period that he applied for parochial relief. Some kind-hearted man, who had known him in happier times, chanced to be the churchwarden that year, and through his interest he was appointed to his present situation. He is an old man, now of the many who once crowded round him in all the hollow friendship of boon companionship some have died some have fallen like himself some have prospered all have forgotten him time and misfortune have mercifully been permitted to impair his memory and use has habituated him to his present condition meek uncomplaining and zealous in the discharge of his duties he has been allowed to hold his situation long beyond the usual period and he will no doubt continue to hold it until infirmity renders him incapable or death releases him as the grey-headed old man feebly paces up and down the sunny side of the little courtyard between school hours it would be difficult indeed for the most intimate of his former friends to recognise their once gay and happy associate in the person of the pauper schoolmaster end of section one